Rewinding. Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. Saturdays with Jenny. I am taking you to Berlin. I would love it if the writer that um, I am going to be speaking to in a couple of seconds was sitting right here with me with a glass of beer in his hand. But in Berlin, he's got more than one hand ready for a glass of beer or two of beer, uh, German food, uh, an apartment of his own. And I'm speaking about Nick Plongo. And uh, he has recently finished a book, an extraordinary book, actually, an extraordinary novel called Paradise in Gaza. And uh, and Nick, uh, first of all, welcome back to Kaya FM because you used to practically live here. Yes, definitely. And thank you, Jenny, again for your consistent, uh, you know, appreciation and uh, a promotion of African literature. And thanks to your listeners. I'm really glad to be back home, as you say, Kaya. <laughs> Well, you're back, you're, you're back home, but when do you actually physically come back to African soil? Uh, it will be around February. It will be around February just for a short while, and then I've got also other commitments if COVID allows. Okay, you're not going to share them with me, but I will find out. You know that. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, I've got, uh, I think, six invitations already, one of them, I think, in February, or actually it's in Pakistan, where I'm going to launch this very book that we're going to talk about. And I'm going back to, I'm coming back to Germany again. So there are lots of places that I'm going next year as well. So your little house opposite the Shabin is empty? Yes, exactly. You know, I miss it, actually. Uh, also, when it's cold here, yeah, because it's, it's, we're now in winter, I'm always thinking of that little house, you know, because uh, here it's always dark uh, with a little bit of light sometimes, you know, yes. uh, since it's winter. Yeah. And, um, you know, the day is very short. The day is short, but the transport is good. There are amazing places to see. There is astonishing food to eat. And I can see you traveling all over the place. So you are making the most of the time in Germany. I mean, I think it's a... I think it's a no-brainer that you're having a stunning time because you've finished, you have finished your novel. So it, you're in that period after a novel where you're just, you're just a little bit drained and you just want to celebrate without having to have a deadline. But you probably have created your own deadline. Yes, yes, exactly. I think, uh, you know, I've been, I never thought like this book will be, I'll be able to do it. You know, when I was in South Africa, I'm glad that I'm here. Because when I was in South Africa, in most cases uh, where I lived, the area that I lived in Soweto, there were constant uh, interruptions of uh, load shedding. So, you know, and it disturbed my flow. So when I got the opportunity to come to Berlin to finish this book, I just said, oh, Lord, this is the greatest thing. (laughs) And I managed to do it, and I managed also to do the other one, which is Josie Noah you know, um, uh, here in Berlin, yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, Joe Bergnoir, I mean, I'm fascinated and I want to do a bit more reading before I talk to you about it. But, uh, you know, suffice to say that it's on the bookshelves. It's got an arresting cover and it's just another look at Joe Berg. And there's some uh, amazing books which preceded it, uh, written by other authors. So I just think it's going to do... Um, open doors and windows to people uh, in Joburg and places and thoughts that they haven't had before because we all see Joburg in a different way. But now let's go, let's go to Paradise in Gaza. So when I saw that you were writing Paradise in Gaza, I knew the title of the novel 
And I, I yes. thought, but what is he doing on the Gaza Strip? Isn't it just, isn't it a bit dangerous? <laughs> and I, I mean, I was trying to work it out. And then I was thinking, Jenny, you've got to think laterally. And I did think laterally and I still couldn't work it out until, <laughs> until I got a copy of the book. And I mean, Fred Kamalo says, replete with gripping plot twists and, and surprises, this novel illuminates rural life under apartheid as a work of art it delivers. Well, Nick, I can say that as a work of art, I am, I think I'm, I'm out of my depth. I think it is the most astonishing story. I think it is... I think it will stretch anybody who reads it, particularly people who don't come from the same background as you. I, I don't know many of these customs. I don't know what it takes to become a Sangoma, but I am riveted. So so suffice to say that that this novel, I think, will stretch anybody who reads it. But what interests me is your acknowledgement to Credo Mutwa, because you say... Yeah. From whose books I have learned a lot about African mythology and folklore. So, so take me, just take me to this becoming a Sangona, a, a San, Sangoma thing, because we'll talk a little bit about Gaza and, and how the person who becomes a Sangoma actually her journey to becoming it. But it is the most extraordinary story filled with ancestors and red ochre and white ochre and dreams and interpretations. That is, for me, that is credo mutwa, isn't it? Yes, yes, definitely. I think uh, uh, that I had to uh, credit him for this because he is one of the, uh, actually, the, the one who inspired me to write this book, actually. More especially the fact that this is a work of fiction, but some of the things that I talk about in the book, uh, I can relate to, and some of the things happened within uh, the people that I know, and also my family, my immediate family. Just in a nutshell, um, uh, what happened is that um, in 1960 or 61, I lost my, my, my brother that I didn't know, of course. And then my mother was pregnant and then uh, gave birth to my other brother, who couldn't live with us because she, when she looked at him, she thought like he is, um, uh, you know, he reminds, he reminds her of uh, the the brother that I don't know. So I really thought like, wow, this is a beautiful story to tell, uh, to tell about somebody that I don't know, the brother that I don't know, to be able to, you know, to recreate him. So it was the story that was personal in that to that extent. But uh, I read a lot of Credo Mutua, and I found that uh, his stories actually are very closer to home. And um, I, I would like to uh, many people actually to advise them to read, um, uh, you know, uh, to read uh, Credo Mutua uh, in order to understand also what this book is all about. So uh, even in Soweto, for instance, there's a place called uh, Credo Mutua Place. I always go there for inspiration. So uh, in a nutshell, this is the book that um, I felt like uh, it has to do with uh, the way I, uh, you know, my uh, own personal experiences, of, or, uh, uh, as I exp uh, explained it, as well as um, 
the the Sangoma wood is is just the right to the passage of Sangoma is just within my family as well. So it was a story that was easily accessible for me. So to say, it was just waiting for me to be to to write it in a way that um, I did at the moment. Because it's a story that I've been trying to write since 2008. And I've been following people's, uh, uh, some of my family members right into passage, you know, of uh, Sangoma, to be a Sangoma. And uh, uh, some of them are young. Some of them stayed there for quite some time, for longer, you know. So some of them were able to talk to me. So it was an easy access. But it's the story that many people try to undermine. And I thought like, wow, they don't know what this is all about. Because this is the story about healing, the story about spiritual, African spirituality. So, yeah. So that's how the journey went through. Yeah. But it's also, but it's also a story. I mean, there is one person that links. Um, it's not exactly two stories, but but one. There's a clear link between the stories. But one is set in Gaza, which is a village um, in the Low Felt. I, I, I presume. I think it must be in the Low Felt. Um, yes, yes. Yeah. So so because of the weather and the train journeys and things like that. And you've also set it at at a period of of what I would call high apartheid. So we're looking backwards. Um, the whole time um, to to the restrictions on movement, um, to how difficult lives were, to the anger that there was in rural areas because they were poverty stricken. And you also deal um, with this, I suppose it, it, it came from the Native Land Act, of, uh, you know, originally, but the men have to leave their villages and they've got to go and work in the cities and they probably never come back. And if they do, it's once a year until they get tired and, and start another family somewhere else. And the, the, so you tell that story as well with the anger and the pathos that it deserves. Thank you. Thank you uh, for that, Jenny. I really appreciate your kindness. And the most important thing is that... Um, Definitely, I think you captured, you, you understood my story. That's what I'm, I was always trying to tell. Uh, but also the fact that, you know, um, I'm 47 years old, so I grew up uh, during apartheid as well. I mean, our house in Chawelo, for instance, has been there since Chawelo was born, 1963, you know. So uh, we had lots of uh, uh, family members coming to visit. You know, even when I went to live in Orlando West, there were still family members that followed, you know, coming to live with you. So it was more of um, it is more of a journey, a, a journey that I was following and that I lived as well. And I thought it's the story that I needed to tell, to share with people, actually to remind people where we're coming from. Those journeys from uh, Lipopo, for instance, uh, although um, it, 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 although the story itself, like for instance, it's set in the rural area of Lipopo, and then also uh, uh, Gaza as um, uh, you know uh, a fictional village, mm. it applies to everywhere in South Africa. Coming to Johannesburg, Johannesburg was, uh, of course, as we know, was a, a, a white area. So you had to have a path, you know, uh, and uh, a sort of a citizenship. Mm. So it applied to us. Everybody know about the blackjacks, you know, those who came to uh, intrude people at uh, 1 a.m. in the night counting people, you know, in the morning counting people. 
whether they have permits or not. Mm. And I also have stories of um, the influx control. I think you can see it also that it's a, it's a story that I continued from Soweto under the apricot tree. Uh, the last story, the, the main story itself. Uh, a person getting married, I mean, a person whose husband has died, mm. and then um, now she has to uh, remarry again. Mm. And this is a true story. It's a story that I know, I know definitely of somebody, uh, I think two people that uh, uh, had to go through that, you know, that uh, uh, those kind of problems. So it's a story that it uh, really speaks to me. That's why it took me time, uh, almost 12 years to write it, is because I wanted to do it right. And for, for that matter, when I was doing Way Back Home, for instance, Way Back Home was supposed to be this book. Even the title of Way Back Home um, of this book was not supposed to be Paradise and Gaza. It was supposed to be Way Back Home. But I was not satisfied with the way the story, the story took me somewhere. Mm-hmm. So I had to write this particular story. So it is the story I will say that uh, will resonate to, with, with uh, many South Africans that has lived that past that I have lived myself, you know, of apartheid, of having been forced to uh, leave uh, the city to go and uh, do your metric outside, you know, your schooling uh, outside Johannesburg because of the violence that were there, because of apartheid and whatever. So I had to put that all together. To make paradise in Gaza. So, I mean, that's a fascinating um, explanation of 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 how the book was birthed. But but let's just look at some of the characters then. So you you start with a with a journey, and it's a journey from Johannesburg uh, to Gaza, and it takes quite a while. And the the father is Mpisi Mpisani, and he's going back to the village of his birth and the home of his first wife, Kanyisa, and uh, Mpisi is. I think he's he's a well-intentioned man, but I find him indescribably weak. Um, he leaves uh, he leaves his wife, who who grows in stature as the book, of course, continues. Ntombazi, and uh, she is nine and a half months pregnant, practically. So she's about to give birth, but he takes his his elder son, and they they are travelling to to um, uh, to Gaza for a funeral. And uh, and you see immediately the village, there, there is some joy in Gaza, but everything has changed because people no longer have access to their lands. And as the story goes on, I mean, I went back a little bit this morning and I was reading about the drought, just absolutely devastating. And the cattle, what was it, the rinderpest and the cattle having yeah. to be slaughtered and the dogs having to be killed. It's arduous. Honestly, it is so arduous, Nick. Yes. <laughs> Actually, for me, you know, with this book, what I wanted to do it was to do something of a celebration of women, more especially women in the rural area, for putting family, for managing to put a family together through difficult times, through apartheid, through patriarchy, you, you know, uh, through poverty, you know. Uh, so they suffer double because of those kind of things, you know. The drought itself uh, in the book represents, uh, actually, my main aim of putting also the drought is just to show also how did the women, the families uh, still stayed together, were still together because of the women, the, the way they had to uh, work hard, you know, mm-hmm. to put the family together 
irrespective of uh, with this crowd and also this um, husband, that absent husband, you know. So emotionally, and uh, even though they were emotionally drained, Tombazi is always emotionally drained because, of course, as you say, she has a weak husband. So she has been emotionally drained, but she manages to put the family together. She even, and also the idea of a family within the African perspective, you know, the idea of a family being, um, it, it, it's not a singular thing. It's a, it's a, you have to think of a family as a, as a, as a compound itself, you know. Yes. So it's, yeah, so for me, it's, um, it, it, uh, uh, this book was more of uh, showing uh, how women have managed, for rural women, for instance, uh, which is not much, I've never, I've, I haven't read much of uh, rural women within South African, um, um, you know, uh, literature. I haven't, maybe it's me who haven't uh, got the books, the right books. But I thought this is the book that I should celebrate them. I should celebrate how they managed to put the families together mm. uh, with, in this time of droughts, in this time of apartheid, uh, even uh, under the difficult, uh, you know, uh, uh, patriarchy, you know, patriarchal uh, uh, structures. So, yeah, it's a, yeah, a celebration. Well, I, I mean, I loved Kanyisa, and she's so strong. And you also use her, and I'm not spoiling the book for anybody who's going to read it. She also lives near a plantation, a tomato farm, basically. But underneath yes. the tomatoes is where she was born. Uh, underneath the tomatoes is the village uh, that she she knew as she was a little girl before the land was sold and uh, put under tomatoes. And there is no sign of the people who used to live in the village, except she did. And she remembers it. And there's a growing rage inside her that she can't even get in touch of her past. And she keeps saying, it's my land. It's my land. And there's a wonderful... There's a wonderful scene that that actually I went, in fact, as I'm sitting here, I've got goosebumps, where she meets one of the laborers on the farm and she herself is a laborer on the farm. And yes. he's trying to, to find his roots also from the village he lived in under the, under the tomatoes. And, um, and they managed to get a tractor, I think it was, at night. And they wanted to go and excavate where they, they believed the village was. But the tractor stalled and it would not start again because they were close to the grave of the chief or the king. And I just thought, you know, this, this urge, this longing for land that has been lost, it goes so deep. And, and it's so understandable as well. And, and, and your ancestors' graves are, they're sacred. I mean, I know what I would feel if, if my great grandmother's grave was desecrated, you know? So she, she, she is a very strong woman, but I think her life is blighted. I mean, when your husband doesn't come home for years, she can <laughs> hardly believe any more that she's a woman, you know? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, but I think and, and it's a question that many people have been asking me, and it's actually, you know, because um, so much research has been, uh, I went through so much research to write this book, but also I'm glad that you mentioned that um, <laughs> the land issue, because the land issue, it's also one of the most central themes in, in this book, because um, it deals with... Uh, how forced removals, for instance, uh, disintegrated the family. You know, the family that was held together 
families, black families in most cases are held together by the land, you know. But also the land is a place where, uh, you know, uh, you know, having land itself, the way I've, I've written it, it's a, a, a place where uh, also patriarchy triumphs. You know, mm-hmm. and yeah, so so a land does not does not only become this dream that it's always uh, that we always uh, we always look forward to land. It's always great having it, mm-hmm. but it also plays a major role in making patriarchy to triumph. And so, so I had to one of the reasons that uh, uh, the land is closer also to the African spirituality. You know. Because without land, there's no way in which you can always uh, be in intact with your ancestors. Mm. And not to be intact with your ancestors means that you don't exist as a human being, you know. So, uh, so that's how uh, I brought in the land issue. And just to say that whenever we talk about land issue uh, and forced removals, we always focus in uh, in uh, urban areas, we always know about Sophia Town and everything, you know, and those are places, you know, uh, in the in the urban areas. But in the rural areas, where land is also equally important, and where family integration is, uh, when uh, if that happens, it becomes a very diverse thing. It has a very much negative, negative impact more than in the urban areas. That's what uh, uh, I was trying to say in the books, because this is where the uh, ancestors are buried. Urban areas, according to this book, it's a place of work. Then a rural area where the land is, it's a place of worship of ancestors, of a family. That's why every December now is the time when people say, "Ah, I'm going home. Meanwhile, they are home. They are maybe in the rural areas, in the urban areas. But when people say I'm going home, they mean they are going to uh, uh, rural areas where their ancestors are buried, where they can easily communicate with their spirits. So that's what I was trying to um, explore with this book. So now, Nick, our time is up and we haven't, <laughs> we haven't even scratched the surface of this book. We haven't really got to Ntumbazi, who I think is the most extraordinary character. And she is the one um, in, well, in fact, I'm not going to say anymore because I don't want to spoil anything for people who are going to rush out and buy this book. But can we just yeah. have an agreement between the two of us that when you come back for a short period of time in February, we have to do something where we can do it in front of an audience so that you can answer the questions from uh, from people and sign copies of your book. We must be able to put something like that together. Uh, thank you, Jenny. And I really, really appreciate And uh, I will definitely, I will let you know immediately. You're one of the first people to know when I arrive. And that's a very fantastic idea. So I love it. So thank you very, very much indeed. And all I've got to say to anybody listening to this, to, to the, you know, the Kaya FM audience, this is an extraordinary novel. And it is, for me, it's a journey of cultures. It is a powerful, it's a powerful novel. And I love the link with Credo Mutwa. You know that I've interviewed him three times. And wow. <laughs> wow. 
And um, I'll tell you about it one day. But he was, and he remains, I think, one of our most extraordinary um, South Africans. But but this book will not disappoint anybody. But it, but also, uh, you cannot hurry your way through this novel. You, with the, the knowledge that you have, with the background that Nick has has etched for us this morning, you know that you're going to go deep. And um, and it is just, it is absolutely absorbing. So, Nick, congratulations to you and thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Jim. So let me give you the details of the book. Um, it's called Paradise in Gaza. It's published by Quella. And, of course, it is by Nick Plongo. And remember February because we'll try very hard to do a public event where you can come along and you can ask questions and get copies of your book signed, etc., etc., etc. Saturdays with Jenny. With Jenny every Saturday from, from 9 to 11 a.m. on Kaya FM 95.9. Rewinding. Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. Visit kayafm.co.za for more.